I'm happiest in the saddle. <laughs> A fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat? A-hole. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time we are still in 1995. If you listen to our last episode, it is GoldenEye, brought to us by Martin Campbell. Isn't that right, George? That is right, Charlie. We're doing this as a nice, neat, and well-scheduled tie-in with the upcoming release of No Time to Die. I'm just getting some buzzing noise in my ear that No Time to Die has been delayed yet again. Okay, that's because of the coronavirus. My corona. Yes, we're not going to dwell on that because everyone else is. We're not changing our schedule. We're going to crack on as planned. We are professional. We're going to crack on as usual and talk about the classic film that is GoldenEye. 25 years old this year and yes we were timing it to nicely dovetail with uh, No Time to Die um, which has now been pushed back to November which was probably when Goldeneye was originally released. So anyway... We're going to chat about it and we're going to have fun. Yeah, so in this episode, we've covered Bond before, haven't we? We did uh, View to a Kill. Sorry, you didn't pronounce it right. A View (laughs) to a Kill! Uh, Well, we had a lot of fun doing bad impressions of Christopher Walken in a bit of a tribute to uh, the passing of uh, Sir Roger Moore. George and I are massive Bond fans, as you might expect, of our age and our love of cinema. So this coverage comes from a place of love. We are going to poke fun at it. Uh, There's very little that we do not know about Bond. I would say that, you know, we've got almanacs, catalogues. Encyclopedias. Yeah. I have many books by Roger Moore, including Bond on Bond, where Roger talks about all the other Bonds. And what's the other one? My word is... My word is my Bond. Yeah, so, uh, and for more Roger Moore, and Christopher Walken impressions check out our view to to a kill Uh, so in this episode we will be covering all things about the 1995 blockbuster what it meant for Bond at the time uh, everything else that was going on uh, surrounding the Bond universe and the things that followed uh, so it's 1995. And obviously we're going to talk about the game that came out in 1997, but has had an influence on many people's lives. Yes, and if you know Goldeneye the film, I'm sure you'll be aware of the game. So uh, most of you know what to expect. For anyone who doesn't, here's George with a quick reminder on some general housekeeping. So we are film lovers. We are not film professionals. Uh, so we do strive for professionalism. and We are you- podcast professionals. We are podcast professionals for sure. So yeah, we do... Uh, we aim to to entertain and inform at the same time. This is a light-hearted look back at the films that Charlie and I grew up with. Charlie and I are brothers, uh, not lovers. Anymore. Anymore. Um, It was just wrong. (laughs) So just a heads up, in terms of word of warning, there will be... We're going into detail on these films, so there will be spoilers from the very off. There may be some casual swearing and more than likely to be some terrible terrible impressions as you've already witnessed so yeah i think that's that's about it really i think we probably will be making some jokes about some of the misogyny in this and but that is we are poking fun at how dated those sort of things look the the way that boris treats natalia and things like that um it is interesting it was the 90s it was the 90s you could get away with a lot more back then 
Okay, so without further ado, George's, we are jumping on into our time machine. We are recording this on mini disc. George, great still, format. Great George format. still has copious amounts of mini disc for us to record on. Uh, so here it is, 1995. Golden Eye. Release Tina is the target. 72 hours ago, a secret weapon system was detonated over Saturnia. And the threat is real. GoldenEye exists. A radiation surge that destroys everything with an electronic circuit. You can still depend on one man. I want you to find GoldenEye. Three. Find who took it. Two. And stop it. One. name's Bond. James Bond. The world's most famous secret agent is back. We aim to please. And this time, 007 is facing the ultimate enemy. The man who knows him best. Now, the entire world is about to be caught in the crossfire. See you in hell, James. You first. Okay, so do we? Where do we? Where do we start, George? It's 1995. Uh, no, no, we're, no, we're, we're, we're starting we're going mu- way, way better. So we're, so we're starting gonna, much earlier. Yeah, I think with with something like Bond, with a franchise like Bond, George and I discussed this earlier, and I think putting this into context, obviously, the majority, if not all, Bond films follow a certain formula, and I think without us talking about the entire history of Bond, we're going to assume you know a little bit, and we're probably going to talk what two films before this about what happened in the maybe five or ten years that well, led yeah, up to this yeah so essentially in um, like the position we kind of find ourselves in with uh, A View to a Kill because Bond is the longest running f- film franchise uh, of all time um, it's essentially yeah this is a sequel and most of the time we are covering the first uh, you know uh, we, uh, we do a lot of one-offs if we do a sequel like we did with Bad Boys and Mission Impossible we usually do it as like a nice sort of back to back so yeah it's a little bit of a, a different approach to this one because it's the 17th film in a how many a 25 film series is it more it must be more than that this yeah. is the 25th yeah. time to die so we are going to this is obviously mr pierce brosnan's oh, oh my name is bond um who we will be referring to quite a lot we'll take adam buxton's uh, pet name from bronholm bronholm so yes it's mr brosnan's debut but we have to go back a bit further so originally mr brosnan was all lined up ready to jump in a car and go to the press conference to be announced as james bond in 1986 pierce was going to take over from roger moore and yeah, he was all set up and he was about to leave uh, for the press conference and got a call from his agent and the TV show that he'd been in, Remington Steel, had been... He's the, <laughs> Can I have a second series, you shit? <laughs> uh, so yes, his, his uh, contract got renewed and so he had to bow out. So in a similar instance of when we talked about Indiana Jones, obviously Tom Selleck uh, lost out on the role of Indiana Jones because Magnum, I think, got renewed. Yeah. 
So, yes, those pesky TV contracts, uh, they always come back to haunt you. So, yes, Pierce had to lose out that time. And obviously we had, you and I are big fans of uh, Mr. Dalton, the, the Welsh one. Yeah, Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Thespian Bond. Obviously, he only did two films. He did Living Daylights and License to Kill, which obviously they are in the Retro Ramble canon, so we will no doubt be covering them at some point. And License to Kill was was met with uh, some sort of... Uh, it was a bit of a box office dud. It was obviously quite... It was, you know, a 15-rated Bond, so it was a bit more violent. And and it was reactionary to it, a lot of other films that were out at the same time. Like Lethal Weapon, etc. And... Yeah. And took its music yeah, from, from <laughs> Lethal, Mr. Mr. Kamen. I think a lot of people assume that because License to Kill wasn't as successful that Mr. Dalton was fired or was unhappy and walked away, but that's not uh, not the case at all. So um, work on the third Dalton film began uh, in sort of, I think, late 1989, uh, 1990. And he was all set to uh, appear because he had a three-film contract. Mm-hmm. So in 1990, uh, Michael G. Wilson, who uh, is one of the Bond producers and stepson of Cubby Broccoli, uh, him and Alphonse Ruggiero, not uh, to be confused with Alfonso Ribeiro, who is Colton from The Fresh Prince. Okay. Um, they did a, a script uh, that was featuring robotic designs, that Bond favourite, microchips, mm-hmm. uh, an advanced electronic apparatus. It was had a very scientific background. It was based around Asia, so it went from Scotland to Hong Kong, Japan, mainline China. The, the main villain was a guy called Sir Henry Lee Ching, who was a brilliant and handsome 30-year-old British Chinese entrepreneur who is basically his evil plan. He wanted to get Britain to withdraw from Hong Kong. This kind of sounds like a mashup of Die Another Day and Tomorrow Never dies very much so and wait there's more um because his evil plot was to threaten to unleash a computer virus that would paralyze every military and commercial unit in the world so it sounds a little bit golden eye yeah and and tomorrow never dies with that whole yeah chinese influence uh world war three hong kong type thing so um but unfortunately uh the project entered development uh hell because of legal uh problems because the owners mgm distributors uh United Artists and the Broccoli family, so Eon or, or Dan Jack, as they're also known. So there was massive uh, legal issues, basically for from 1990 to 1993. But they all got resolved finally uh, in May 1993, and MGM announced that the 17th Bond film was back in the works with a brand new script by a guy called Michael France. And despite that three-year hiatus, Dalton was still attached. So in an interview uh, in 1993, he announced filming was set to begin in January, February 1994. Then there was more delays. And basically, Dalton had, its he said in interviews uh, recently, well, I say in the last 10 years, that he was happy to fulfill his third and final film of his contract, you know, go out on a bang sort of type mm-hmm. thing. Um, but for Cubby Broccoli, he was like, well, we've had this massive hiatus. We need to reestablish. You. Yeah, we, we, when you start I, again, kind yeah, of. Yeah, I want you to sign up for another three films, and at that point, you know, we've talked about Dalton being a bit of a thesp, and he just didn't want Bond to be the his whole life. The theatre calls for me. I must go back <laughs> to the theatre. Copy the the boards call for me. <laughs> so yeah, he, um, so they basically had a, a difference of opinion, and. Dalton has said, you know, in hindsight, said, you know, I can understand why uh, Broccoli wanted that, but it just wasn't for me. So uh, he hung up the Walter PPK in April 1994. 
two months later hello is that Piers <laughs> Piers you're back in, guess who's back in the back time <laughs> back in the big time <laughs> big in the back time <laughs> so yes um, two months later uh, Piers Brosnan uh, got the call and was announced as Bond um, we've so- talked about how he is kind of like an amalgamation of all the Bonds that came before you know he's got he has so he, he was a good mix whereas the others were quite chalk and cheese between say Mo- Roger, Sir Roger Moore and uh, Connery and then obviously you've got uh, who's that Australian one? Joel oh, Lysenby. Yeah, Lysenby. Um, and then obviously Dalton. So all very different. And he was kind of like, um, as you said, it's like a computer game character version of Bond. Let's just mix them all together and see it's, what It's we like get. somebody's created an algorithm. Yeah, it is. Um, but no, I mean, uh, to be fair, um, and I've written a couple of articles uh, on our blog about this. So the the fact between like Dalton and, and Brosnan, that Brosnan has been quite open and said, oh yeah, I was, you know, I was trying to take that sort of roughness of Connery with the charm of Moore and he never felt he really like did it his own thing yeah and I think you and I have a lot of love for Dalton and I know a lot of other Bond fans do um, I think the casual fans less so but I think Dalton if if uh, sorry if Brosnan had been cast originally in 1986 it would have been an easier transition for a harder Bond yeah rather than because Dalton, Dalton's was so different to Roger's charming, you know, lounge lizard type approach. But, but it did definitely, uh, Timothy Dalton definitely did pave the way for the Bond that we enjoy today. The Daniel Craig, the dark, the cold killer. Well, that's it. Yeah, you and I have, have chatted about it before and would chew anyone's ear off that's listening that, yeah, Dalton was doing the gritty, serious Bond 20 it, years before Craig was. Yeah, and it's the one that, that Fleming would, I think, relate to uh, the most. And was Fleming still around when this was made? Oh, God, no, no. no. Fleming uh, didn't even get to see Goldfinger. Never, or Never Say Never Again. But thankfully... <laughs> <laughs> never got to see never see never never see uh, so yes Fleming died in 63 64 so I think he saw the first two and I think he died during the making of Goldfinger right okay um, but speaking of Mr. Iron Fleming so this was the first slightly racist <laughs> <laughs> you're daft racist um, so this is the first on a completely original Bond film so it had no ref- all the other f- uh, films previously they whilst- came from one of the books or well, from whilst, the whilst they had a lot of them had literally just taken the name and a couple of plot points or character names this was the first completely original uh, Bond story so the the title itself was taken from Ian Fleming's Jamaican Holiday Bangalore <laughs> GoldenEye <laughs> um, which apparently he um, had also planned on Operation GoldenEye during that was one of his World War II World, World War II versions uh, so yes um, it was named after Ian, Ian Fleming's uh, Jamaican home where he wrote all the Bond novels and yes uh, the so the story is completely uh, completely fabricated uh, from from scratch essentially created created so um yeah in terms of i say michael france did the original story but then as with any bond story some uh had various different people come in to to polish the script i think bruce fierstein's one of them and there's many there's many writers on on every bond film they're rarely from the pen of of one person but in terms of directors originally it was offered to john woo who who gracefully turned it down 
Wow. So, Sean, what I need you to do is jump through the air, two Colts in your hands, firing, and then I will release the doves. I mean, yeah, imagine a, a spy action film with John Woo. Oh, oh no, we got one. Yeah, we got one. Crazy, crazy Mission Impossible 2. So, uh, yeah, John Woo uh, has to yeah, gracefully decline. Uh, and then they turn to Martin Campbell, who... Um, he's a New Zealand director, but his uh, background was mainly in TV. He did a very uh, well-received TV show in the 80s called Edge of Darkness, uh, which he would later remake uh, again as a, a film starring uh, our, our favourite racist Mel Gibson. Right, and it's called Edge of Darkness? Edge of Darkness. Okay. So, yeah, but Not it was familiar a, with that film. But it was a, a miniseries um, originally in the 80s, and then they turned it into a film in the early noughties, maybe? Miniseries. Series for dwarfs. <laughs> You can't say that. <laughs> and the other thing that made it different from from all the other Bond films was the filming location. So historically, Bond's uh, home had been Pinewood Studios, and I think it is it still is. But at that time, uh, Pinewood Studios was busy. Um, it had been reserved for the film uh, for somebody else, starring in the film First Night. Oh my God, that's that is that that Richard Gere, mm. Sean Connery, mm. shiny armor. Yes, Camelot. Camelot. <laughs> Um, So, yes, um, Pinewood was busy. So, Bond being Bond, they basically took over an old Rolls-Royce factory at Leavesden. So, it's an aerodrome, so an airport and and factory that had been derelict. And they converted it into a brand new studio. So, if you're on the uh, GoldenEye special features, and you'll probably find them on YouTube, they basically gutted this this huge uh, hangar and turned it into a makeshift studio. But, ironically, once they left there, and obviously they leased it... um, it became a, a running studio for many other productions. So the Phantom Menace filmed there and then Warner Brothers started filming their lots um, and they filmed a lot of Harry Potter there. And that's now where the Harry Potter uh, studio experience is. So it's very much established. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it all started with Goldeneye, essentially. Wow. So, yes, it has a little bit of uh, history there. talk about the dvd for a second because i obviously went back and watched this on dvd bum, 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 bum. with the very truncated uh, manuscript system it's a very cutting edge futuristic dvd if a, a breakthrough digital process yeah dvd yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have to put uh, insert that clip because you have to watch it on every single bond dvd this is dvd and this is what happens when you watch DVD. It's a movie on a disc the size of a CD. The picture is twice as sharp as VHS. The sound is infinitely clearer. It looks and sounds like you're at the movies, but you can experience it at home. DVD. Yeah, yeah and what, what do you get with it? Well, you get the making of. Get the making of. Do you get the trailer? Nope. I know you do. You get the trailer. It's, it's just a, it's a very convoluted. Everything's like there's there's mission briefing. There's um, when there's actually MI, MI, all these things. Just like just tell me where the trailers are. <laughs> there's there's not much to it. So yeah, uh, do we do want to? Is there anything more in terms of what went on in the background to make this film reality, or should we just dive in and talk about our favorite bits of the film? Well, let's just dive in. Um, in terms of the the opening, the cold open, the the pre pre-title sequence mm-hmm. pre-credit sequence um, PTS PTS I had to for my GCSE 
English, I think, for some reason. We had to study. It was a little bit of media study. So we had to study and break down both the opening, like the dam jump bit Mm -hmm. and the car chase. And we literally had to watch that scene um, at school, something like 20, 30 times. And it was just so mind numbing. And it was just like, so I know those opening scenes in terms of they do a the bit camera of camera work yeah and in, in terms of the the opening scene with him running along the dam it's very much a similar approach to how they take with on a majesty's secret service with the new bond and they kind of do it a little bit with um can't see him yet with yeah with living daylights as you re- you never see his face until uh the reveal well when, it is a kind it's treated like a reveal isn't it? it's like when, mm, zoom in yes <laughs> when, what do you mean when he's hanging upside down in the toilet yeah watching man have a poo <laughs> um but you know it's very well done in terms of yeah the the angles and stuff his face is in shadow and stuff like that but it's it's a phenomenal opening isn't it the, yeah. the, the damn jump and it's it, I think it's up there with um, obviously it's not as good as the Union Jack you know um, parachute but it's it's a homage it's a brilliant stunt and I remember I think this for me in terms of first memories I think this was the first Bond I saw at the cinema because I think I would have probably been too young for Living Daylights no, Living would, Daylights was the first it, one I saw because yeah. I would have been four yeah obviously License to Kill was a 15 yeah um, I, I do remember getting that out from Gojo Video for my birthday well, was it for your birthday yeah I think uh, that was because it came out in November and then obviously took mm. six months to come out on video at least and I remember having everyone over and us watching it and thinking yeah having, <laughs> having a nice honeymoon um so yes, for me, this was my first big screen Bond experience. And I remember the like, there was audible gasps for that um, bungee jump over like, or just that wow, because you know, it's, it is a great stunt. And it's, I think it's one of the first times because in terms of the age we were at, so yeah, I was like 14 when I saw this. So yeah, big experience to see this at the cinema. And then afterwards I read the book um, on the film. And in the book, they go into more detail about the stuff. Oh, you mean the novelization? The no- it is the I th- novelization. I think we both read that. Yeah, and they fill in all the gaps and they talk about the jump in detail about how he's got to time it to absolute perfection in terms of the elast- the velocity and the elasticity of the bungee jump. Yeah, firing the piton at the right the, time. At the exact right moment. And But the piton has a laser on it. It's like so many Bond things in, in one, in, in such a short period and of all, time. And all the sound effects, that's the thing that you and I always talk about yeah. the Bond films. Pew, pew. The, 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 the ricochet that laser sound yeah it's so bond yeah it's uh, classic and it's hopefully not lost i hope they'll go back to employing a few more gadgets because uh, they, they the use of gadgets in the recent films seem to be they've dialed it back a bit haven't they've they? dialed it back or they they have to be part of the plot for some reason whereas back in the day especially in the 90s it was gadgets for the sake of gadgets yeah but I mean, I think it's it's going to be um, impossible for us to to talk around these sort of opening scenes without thinking of the game. And I think that's the thing, as you were saying in the open, for many people, they're going to be more familiar and have spent more time with the game playing through those levels. And it feels like you're getting more of that story in terms of before you do the damn jump. And then obviously the whole facility bit is, you know. Well, it's still very much in the... In, in, in people's minds I mean I saw a very funny meme online on a total tangent where I think I don't know if you've seen it but somebody put up a picture of Steven Seagal all uh, right present day he's obviously piled on a few pounds oh yes I've and, seen it, and it said um, Steven Seagal now looks like the bad guy in the loo on the first level of Goldeneye and they're obviously they're not talking even about the film they're yeah. talking about the game so that shows how much it permeated uh, the public uh, and I think mindset they had so much access to to the film in terms of all the drafts all the set designs and stuff like that so the studio involved with it yeah, right? so, yeah so I think they 
they took in so much of the like the, the planning in that more than you yeah i say you see in that in the whole sort of facility but you just see that little bit where he meets um our favorite yorkshireman sean bean oh you bastard but he's very posh in this yes james 007 yeah but he uh sorry this is not really charlie trivia george told me this earlier he auditioned for the role yes so uh yeah so um i think even yeah again back in the late 80s uh he had auditioned for the role and it's a bit like um the, the same thing happened on batman begins uh killian murphy auditioned for the role of uh, of batman mm-hmm. and christopher nolan was like yeah I, I can't really see you being batman I, I can see you being the villain though but it's it's interesting in that he I don't think we'd seen a, another double O agent do anything other than just perish, die, die, <laughs> or, well, be, or be a corpse well, in the it. other Bond well, films. Whereas in this, he gets a character, he gets a name, and obviously, it's revealed later on that he is he is the villain. But we um, we used, to, I think, we even joked about that in A View to a Kill that it was like a running Roger Moore plot point of him opening with a double O dying and yeah. him having to pick up the trail from there. Yeah, so I think it's Octopussy, View to a Kill, and at least maybe one other. We well, were, Living Daylights, there was all the on the Gibraltar rock. There's yes. two, at least two of them get taken out, and they're all double O's, aren't they? Yeah, and uh, but people did say um, that you know that it's something that we haven't really seen. They haven't really touched on in the um, Daniel Craig ones. We haven't seen any other double O's. But it looks like in No Time to Die, there's going to be they're playing with the numbers again. Yeah, uh, is it Latasha Lynch uh, is uh, the new 007. Is she, yeah, she's a, a new double O or potentially yeah. 007. Yeah. And that hasn't been done at all to just generate chatter online. Anyway, um, so in terms of this scene, it's um, it's brilliantly done. I remember seeing is one of the key. Obviously, they get into the room where they've got to blow up the. Is it what is it? Chemical weapons? Chemical gas? Weapons. Who cares? Yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, Closing time, James. Lots lots of Kalashnikovs, AK forty sevens on on the lookout. Uh, don't don't shoot! Don't shoot! You'll 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 blow the you'll blow the tanks. Um, but I you just can't re- win. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. Um- Umrov is uh, Umrov. Yeah, he's he does some great performances in this, and it's interesting to see how. The, the passage of time and with him and we'll, and, and we'll get to that but I, I remember when we first saw the trailer it was sort of showing there's this as we said the, the multifaceted uh, Pierce Brosnan showing many different sides of Bond uh, that's come before is the fact that he's as he's round the corner reloading his gun and there's bullets going past his ears and he just slightly moves his head mm. as if it's a nuisance rather than you know saving his own life and that was in the trailer and it was like oh this is this type of Bond it's, it, it was kind of the first Bond that was properly self-aware yes and very much so and obviously we'll go into that with the uh, the stuff with M that you know um, the the Dalton years it was very much pussyfooting around the whole AIDS crisis and him being you know sort of don't touch me here not settling down but uh, I love that opening scene both in this film and the next one um Tomorrow Never Dies both the cold opens are very strong I think almost Tomorrow Never Dies is trying to repeat the golden eye one because you've got that great scene and he does the great escape and I'd forgotten about the Nazis on the motorcycles and you forgot about the Nazis on the motorcycles they look like it looks like it suddenly goes to it's like where did they get where do they get get on the motorbikes (laughs) yeah I know that's it the uh, you know as I said everyone gasped at the uh, the bungee jump uh, stunt but 
equally I let's think every, go to another level i think everyone groaned or was laughing at the whole him d- skydiving after the plane catching up with the plane getting into the plane getting into the plane and then pulling it off. out of the dive i would have i would have been r- happily impressed if it was just a simple case a bit like he does in uh license to kill where he does it you know barefoot water skiing and catches and takes over the plane on water yeah if it was just a simple case of him catching up on the bike and then crawling in and then taking off just before it took off or maybe as the plane was free falling him just scrabbling to get in I don't think you needed the whole him I think they do drag it out I I I think I think as you say a little tweak for us looking back with our um, with the benefit of hindsight but yeah just the whole fact that it seems to be the the plane goes it, it like makes it so impossible that it that it's it almost breaks it breaks the believe you know the believability even in the realms of James Bond yeah. it's like oh my god he's going to die um yeah it could have been better if it, if it was just much closer you yeah, know that he was so all, just before it went off the edge he manages to get in the plane and it starts to yeah. di- anyway we're, di- yeah. we're we're dissecting it it was uh, it looks a bit dated now yes and Speaking of dated, there are some good and some bad and some amazing model work in this. So oh, yeah. This has been... Derek Meddings is uh, is the guy behind this. He's a legendary uh, miniature model maker. Sadly, he died a few months after they finished filming, so it's, the film's actually dedicated to him at the end. But he worked on... We are big fans of his of his miniature work well, and was, in, in other films. Yeah, so he worked on Superman, uh, the movie, and Batman as well. And I think he's done... He's got a you know, huge career in miniatures and again you'll probably find it on YouTube but it's on the DVD there's uh, a few little features um, showing all the detail like so for all the Sevenaya stuff and they were building these replica MiGs um, because at that time and as Martin Campbell says CGI wasn't there CGI wasn't there and for for them as well it's actually a relatively uh, small budget film it only only had a budget of uh, around 60 million that's not much for a Bond film though considering um, I read recently Spectre had uh, an estimated budget of 300 million wow Um, but um, yeah so that that explosion of him flying over the uh, the chemical thing as it's blowing up um, is a lovely bit of uh, model work from from Derek Meddings before we launch into should we are we uh, going to rate the the credit sequence with the lovely Tina Turner it's brilliant full of sexy communists so girls models I need you to break those rocks but but do it do it slowly do, do, it, do it yeah you've do got, it sexy you've got hammers sickles sexy birds sexy communists I've never seen like people and, and, break rocks and so such a romantic way and then there's a bit where the girl just opens her mouth and a gun pops out yeah a little bit weird but anyway <laughs> love um golden eye the song is is one of my favorites i mean it's it it's as good as a good bassy as a good, well, as a good it. Shirley it's, bassy. It's, it's tina giving her best bassy um but uh written by barnall and the edge yeah uh, and produced by nelly hooper uh who used to be i think produced massive attack so quite an interesting quite still sounds good today even though the lyrics don't make any sense i know they don't make any sense yeah i used to watch you from the shadows as a child (laughs) what that sounds a bit weird but anyway great song And we're on to another great action set piece of BMW versus uh, Ferrari. Oh, no, sorry. Um, Ferrari versus Aston. Yeah, because that, does that happen? That When's Sever Naya, Boris and Natalia? So that's after. Okay. Uh, afterwards, yeah. So basically credits 
because uh, I did it, studied it so much, much yeah. easier ease. <laughs> Credits finish, and then it launches into the car chase. With, with a some... delicious, delicious stuntman. <laughs> no, I was going to say, <laughs> not delicious stuntman, the horrible, horrible score by Eric Sierra. It's that soft porn-esque... Do you think it's trying to emulate the Spy Who Loved Me chase scene? Well, oh. that, sort of disco, that disco music still sounds good today, whereas this one does not. Yeah, so I, I'm... I th- I'm not sure how this came about, why we got uh, Eric Sira, because obviously you mentioned License to Kill. They had Michael Kamen, who was very much renowned for his his lethal stuff uh, on Lethal Weapon and Die Hard and, and Roadhouse. I think John Barry by this point was either very ill or had retired, so that's why he wasn't in- available. But Eric Sira, he'd done a lot of Luc Besson stuff, so he'd, he'd done... Um, Fifth Element, Leon. Leon. And I actually think because his stuff is quite synthy, it, it works for Fifth Element. I think the fifth, some of the Fifth Element stuff is pretty good. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work for Bond. It's, no, but it's just not his best work. It's also pretty loose. It sounds like a, I don't know, like a Commodore 64 game loading music. It's um, Yeah, and... It doesn't fit the scene. And even the, the orchestral stuff is just a little bit off as well. Well, yeah, because it's got a blend, hasn't it? It's got, it's got the futuristic synth yeah. stuff, and mm. then it's actually got some strings and usual orchestral music as well. So it's, it hasn't aged so well. No, no. Um, but it's a good, good scene in terms of the... Um, which I think we talked about when we covered... Mission Impossible 2 we felt that that was kind of you know the, the yes the, very much so the curvy yeah. corners cliff type oh, but, you know it, it is it is a brilliant um, brilliant done action sequence and uh, yeah obviously features some a uh, little bit of Roger Moore-esque comedy with the bike wankers you know, <laughs> middle-aged men shaking their fist <laughs> and you've got yeah I think you know Bronholm gets a lot of stick but he looks the part he looks amazing in this yeah. and I think if anything again going back to it's the Aston Martin Thanks. It's the Aston Martin. He's, you know, he's being very charming. He's showing off he, his driving skills. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he he delivers the lines. He looks the part. He does a good job. And I think he gets a lot of unfair stick, does, does Brosnan. Yeah, we enjoyed his films. I love the, um, I'm, I'm leaping ahead, but um, the bit where he receives a fax <laughs> in, in his car, the wave of the future, faxes. Yeah. No, but then there's a period of, um, it's just like, dude, do you, do you want me to continue doing the Roger Moore or, or try something different? Because there's the line from Money Penny, then he goes to the casino, and there's like, I can do Roger Moore. Yeah. <laughs> and I can do Sean Connery. Oh, well, uh, that's it. There's, there's a bit where he's like having, when he's um, chatting to Xenia in the yeah. casino, and every single Everything line, it, he it, says it, is it, a pun. Is a pun. He's like, just, just take a freaking break. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot in and out. <laughs> um, I think that's, uh, at the time, it was like, okay, are they, as a said before self-aware are they trying to take the piss out of themselves and today it just looks cliche yeah so many cliche so he's in a casino but he's in a duck well, he's done it. the line I mean that's it they're very he whispers James Bond oh, well that's it in terms of it's very much by the numbers Bond's greatest hits and I think uh, I remember dad saying that when we, we came out of seeing it at the cinema saying oh well you know I've seen it all before but it's for th- a new generation. I though. think uh, that's it, and I think because it was there was that whole hiatus, and they had to come back strong. They had to come back fighting and saying, "Yes, this is, you know, this was make or break that James Bond is still relevant. He's still, you know, king of uh, the action film." And you know, I, I think, it, it, yeah, 
stick to you know what you know best and you know yeah you've got the you've got the db5 you've got the double r agents you've got the casino but it works and the whole plot works i think we talked about the writing but if you i mean we've watched this film and we have played this film in the game mm. so we've 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 gone through the plot backwards and forwards many times and it does hold together everything makes sense there's not it's like why did he do that that makes no sense if mm. you're going to criticize it for anything i don't think it's over familiar maybe no no i was or what i was going to say is that there's a, a crucial plot point in this film is is the passing of time and i don't think that's hammered down enough you don't really pick up the well, fact that because we're leading well, up the, to the the opening sequence and the difference of time on. yeah, yeah that, it, does it just say several does it even say several years i'm later? not even sure if it does yeah. it probably does yeah um i think because what is it five years have passed yeah i think so. uh and i guess we wouldn't pick that f um we wouldn't take that we wouldn't come up with that number out of nothing well i suppose it's it, it's uh, important to mention that this was the first bond to be made since the fall of of the berlin wall yeah so Still, a lot of mentions of hard currency, but I'm, uh, should we talk about Judy Dench? You don't like me, Bond. You don't like my methods. You think I'm an accountant, a bean counter, more interested in my numbers and your instincts. The thought had occurred to me. Good, because I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War, whose boyish charms, though wasted on me, obviously appeal to that young woman I sent out to evaluate you. Talking to Judy Dinch. Yeah. Uh, yes, she is, you know, phenomenal. She's brilliant in this and would go on to outlast anybody else in the franchise at this point. Well, that's it. But, you know, it shows that why she, you know, became so vital to the series. And again, it was an attempt to be a bit fresher. I think in reality, MI5 had appointed their first, the head of MI5, uh, I can't remember her name, Stella something. She was appointed in 1992. So it was very much. All right. It was moving with the time. Reflecting. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's it. Bond's always got their finger on the pulse for at least two minutes. Yeah. But yeah, she's, you know, Judy Dench is, an, uh, you know, a national treasure. And she's brilliant at that role in terms of cutting him down. Obviously, there's that, f you know, um, very famous quote, sexist, yeah. misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War. There we go. Yeah. And Have she, we just watched this a lot? Or I think, maybe, I, no, maybe. I think the lines stood up because it was like... Oh. And it's the delivery as well. Yeah, it's very well done. And and you sort of see a different side to him. He's a bit playful. He's a bit naughty. You know, he's going to... Sexually harassing money, Penny. Yeah. Because uh, you were still... He was still getting away with that sort of thing. Yeah. Now. No, but she, again, the, there is that self-aware because she's like, I could have you on sexual harassment. And he's like... Ugh, uh. <laughs> so I made a note of that. Sexual harassment. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I, I will see. <laughs> Me Too movement. I think this was the first time that they properly introduced uh, Tanner. Yeah. who's um was a key figure in the books that you know is bond's best friend at mi6 and I he's think still he, in it today though isn't he yes he's, uh, as a play by rory kinnear so again mm. he's very much has gone on to become like a key part of the films because he was a key part in the books and yeah he's um it's brilliant to see when he's like was it called the evil queen of numbers yeah and she's behind you <laughs> we found a match you're missing tiger in the middle of northern russia Seems your hunch was right, 007. It's too bad the evil queen of numbers wouldn't let you play it. Um, but there's a lot of great actors in this. You look at everyone in this film. They're all established, good quality. Because he was, he's a very big TV actor, isn't he? The guy who plays Tanner. Yes, yeah. He's, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, unfortunately. But yeah, he's been in loads of like TV dramas and stuff like that. Got a really good cast. I've got a, got a nice uh, fact for you that... Um, 
None of the principal cast members playing Russians are, are Russian. Are Russian. I think we've talked about this before. Obviously, so uh, Isabella Skorupo, uh, Skorupko is uh, Natalia. She is Polish. The lovely Famke Janssen, who would go on and have quite a reputable career with mm-hmm. X Men and stuff. She is Dutch. Mm-hmm. Oromov is played by Gottfried John, who is German. Uh, our man uh, Chucky uh, Cario um, from B- Bad Boys yeah. is, uh, as we've talked about, he's French. Yeah. So he plays Minister Mishkin. And Robbie Coltrane and Alan Cumming are both Scottish. Yeah. And it does come through a little bit in uh, Rob- Coltrane. Coltrane's Scottish, but it works. Because uh, it's like. Lydium. Yeah, no, no, but it does. I don't know. It's like. Um, but he's brilliant. And again, it's good that they. They brought him back for World Is Not Enough. Yes. Yeah. And obviously you've got Jack Wade as well. So they were trying to sort of establish recurring characters and stuff like that. But yes, there is some great, actually, great character actors. Xenia, you know, Famke Janssen is very much leaning into, you know, hammy, Fatima blush type femme fatale that we've seen in, you know, pl- uh, you know countless Bond films. But she does it, you know, brilliantly, doesn't Getting she? aroused by killing people is not something you see a lot in a film. In these I, I, I was thinking it's quite bold for a Bond film, which are usually fairly f- family friendly. Yeah, because she is, she, one, she's hot. Yeah. And two, the fact that she's getting off and killing people, you're like, that is sexy yeah. keep killing people no but it's a way like um, she's yeah mowing down all the people at uh, the Seven Eye station and she's like really getting off and Urimov just gives her a side look a bit of a part she's like what <laughs> don't, don't do it like that <laughs> so yeah the uh, we have that that whole brilliant sequence where the golden eyes activated and again that's when we get to see that amazing model work so all that stuff with the planes the explosion that's all miniatures i thought you know oh they've they've got footage even the stuff the planes taking off that's all miniatures really yeah wow um so it's really brilliantly done and apparently they did some of the snowstorms by uh, a mixture of self-raising flour and cat litter (laughs) (laughs) the Uh, tricks of the trade tricks of the trade and yes we get to meet as you said the alan cummins boris with his Slugheads. Is that because he can't swear? I think so, yeah. Slugheads. And slightly misogynist. Uh, so we've just got Natalia. So I've taken the time to draw and create a graphic of Natalia in a with, bikini. With massive boobs. Yeah. So yeah, slightly. But it's interesting. It's sort of like there's a, there's a lot of sort of a... You don't just, uh, as he talks about later, you don't just go in and, and ask for the keys. You mm. know, there's codes, there's a process. And I love the elaborate GoldenEye key system. Yeah, and the CD drive, which is enormous, because we joked about that when we were watching it when yes, we were younger. Yes, and there's, and there's the, the keys that actually have eyes on them. Yeah. And then it has to activate a laser, again, more Bond laser sounds, to yeah. turn on the screen. It's yeah, just it's like so much. Why just, where's the on button? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a question. How does Boris get away? Because in the, there's not enough room in the tiger in, in the helicopter. Yeah, that's a very good question. Yeah, question for an, for another time. Yeah, well, maybe he's maybe there is space in the helicopter. He's maybe he's just hanging on underneath. Yeah, I'm invincible. He's invincible. The other question I have for you, it's me picking apart. Whilst an EMP basically wipes out anything with an electronic pulse. Does it cause that many explosions? A lot of things explode. Yeah, I don't know. I think, and, and it's that classic sort of 
film fiction of well, let's just put the lightning on it and then things will explode. Yeah, I, I think I think there are, there are some theatricality involved. Poetic license. Yeah, dram- and dramatic. Uh, I, I don't know because from my experience, which is very little, but I mean, if you see this in any other in more recent uses of EMP, it's kind of like just everything dies. That's what you I know. thought. But I'm not even sure you'd see electric electric sparks. I could be wrong. But, but I suppose it's yeah, it's, as you say, it's that theatricality. Yeah, and they've got to show it. It can't just say, oh, everyone's gone off. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing works anymore. Yeah. Phone's gone off. But it was, a, it was a big 90s thing, EMP, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It became a big sort of plot point. Was it Chain Reaction? Was that another one? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but no, it became a very big thing. And even today, it's it's used quite... In it's COD? Used, it's used quite a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got portable EMPs in COD. But no, in, and obviously in the next film, it would all be about the next revolutionary technical about GPS. GPS. <laughs> but this one, it was EMP. I think it's important to talk about, you know, you talked about... Um, Brosnan's trousers. <laughs> uh, ha, ha. I wasn't going to say that, but go on. Well, okay, so we jump... So to get the Tiger helicopter, uh, there's the whole thing with the yacht and the captain. Oh, with his yacht club casual Yeah, look. but it's, it's an amazing look. And when you watch it now, it's like you, it asks a very important question. Is it the jacket that's too long or the trousers that are too high? We'll never know. It's a very big double-breasted blazer with lovely gold. It's very His much... trousers are very high. It's very high. His trousers are extreme, extremely um, high. It's almost like he's wearing a cummerband, but it's actually his trousers. Uh, interesting. I, I was reading... Um, I think it was in the behind-the-scenes features, but that helicopter, the Tiger helicopter, which is a real helicopter, whilst the film was made in 1905, it didn't actually go into active service until 2005. So the Bond producers got, like, one of the first four prototypes to, to use in the film, which is quite impressive. Um, but no, I was, I was going to talk about um, Q and his Q cards. Basically, bless him, uh, Desmond Llewellyn, who's been in every Bond film since uh, From Russia With Love. And so he's very old. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know about you, but you can clearly see, bless him, he's reading. Like, his eyes are, are like, are slightly off to the side because he... And he's even admitted this, that he, he, he couldn't remember his lines. So he's basically got someone behind camera holding up his lines on Q cards. Yeah, but it's still nice to have him in the film. They've got that great joke and, about... Uh, and they have a nice relationship, don't they? It's, it is more sort of grandfatherly rather than, you know... Um, both Connery and Moore gave him a bit of stick. Yeah, and he always used to get in trouble for destroying his stuff, but it was sort of like, yeah. Now, I, I like I like the chemistry between them, and I always just think of the next film, it's always very, I don't know, just weird, where he's like, he gives him the two rules, you know, never oh, let... Oh, never no, that's... Um, no, it's Will Does Not Know. Yeah, because... That's his last film. Yes, yes, yeah, so yeah, that's because, his last yes. Sadly, he did. I mean, they were obviously lining it up because uh, they had John Cleese as his assistant, and then mm-hmm. he took over for Die Another Day. But uh, yes, they were sort of lining it. But yeah, he tragically died in a car crash. He didn't die of old age. Yeah. So yes, very sad. But he's he's very good in this. It's uh, part he, of the Bond franchise. Yes. Yeah. Uh, even though I say it's it's quite obvious, even though I didn't notice at the time, he's reading off cards. Yeah, but that's, that's the classic. But once again, Bond by the numbers. We're getting what we want to see. We're getting... Yes, the, uh, the, you want to see the room full of gadgets and... Gadgets that could probably never exist. I love the uh, the X-ray scanner on the tray. It's like, what? Yeah, Have you seen the size of an X-ray machine? Yeah, <laughs> it's like half the size of a room. It's like, yeah, we've got all of that technology into a tray now. Into a tray. And 
and yeah, the, the completely useless stuff like the guy that gets stuck in the foam yeah. booth. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's all good. And then I say, want me to do some more Roger Moore? <laughs> <laughs> it is. There's a lot of lines, puns. The writing's on the wall. Don't say it. Don't. <laughs> that that wasn't scripted. It's just yeah, Desmond Wayne saying, don't say it. And then Bonds in Russia. We meet Jack Wade, who, as some of our fans on Facebook have pointed out, but the whole confusion of the fact that Jack Wade is played by Joe Don Baker, who only two films previous was playing one of the main villains, Brad Whitaker. Yeah. So Bond films have, have had a history of this because Maud Adams played two different characters and it's almost I think in a way a little bit lazy it's like there's plenty of other actors out there yeah no but maybe they get we got on so well you can come back we'll I mean, bring you back I mean, as a bad guy I mean Joe Don Baker is probably I, th- I quite like him as Jack Wade he's you know he's obviously it's it's Felix Leiter light mm-hmm. but he's got some good quips and he's I think he's probably becomes a bit more into his own in Tomorrow Never Dies as well yeah, I think I still prefer him as Brad Whitaker, though. Whitaker. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just him again. Whitaker. Whitaker. There's, it's all very, you know, we see obviously Bond coming together with uh, Natalia. They meet and you've got that great, I don't know why I love that scene in the prison cell. Because it's, as I say, one very self-aware one. No, no interrogation, no chit-chat. Um, moving with the times and and just, I just love the, the character. Was it Carrie, uh, Jackie, Jack- Jackie Cario Jackie versus Umarov? It's just, so, it's such a great scene. But I, the one thing is I sort of didn't really pick up on like first few watches is the fact that Umarov's such a drinker. Yeah, but he's completely <laughs> shit-faced. He turns up and he's like, James Bond killed Defence Minister Mishkin. And then like the whole chase scene, he's just he's constantly just- swigging away. He's just like, oh, he's lost it. I've <laughs> lost the plot. But yeah, again, I think that is, there's that whole tie-in archives in the, on the N64 game. We've played that level. That was one of the best levels on the game, wasn't it? Yeah, especially the single player. But yeah, you've got, again, some really good action scenes with that whole bit with the, the archives and then the very, very silly but impressive tank scene. Yeah, and once again, seeing that in the trailer, you were like, what? <laughs> yeah, and not so subtle, just basically destroying half of St. Petersburg for, you know, secret, secret agent <laughs> on who, sir? <laughs> it's, it, uh, watching that again uh, recently, I couldn't get over the destruction. Like, how do they get away with that? Well, it's... Um, it's done in... There's a lot of... No, most, it, some it, of it's filmed it's, on location. It's very clever. Again, it's it's in the special features. They did a lot of on-set work in uh, St. Petersburg. But, but when he goes through the wall, it's basically not anything with destruction. Uh, it, they basically recre- recreated a whole St. Petersburg street at Leaveston. Wow. I mean, if you think about it, they did that for, for, for Tim Burton's Batman. You know, all of Gotham City was a set. But the fact that they faithfully recreated, like, I think at least a street and a half. But it's just a destruction when the tank's well, going through the walls and yeah. stuff. It's I mean, like, it's, it's, it's so over the top, but it is, as you say, it's brilliant. Um, so Bond. It's, it is very Bond. Only Bond. Uh, and especially with the giant Perrier water product placement where he crashes through, crashes yeah. through the truck. I think it was something like... Something ridiculous, like 90,000 cans were required for that stunt. Um, and they had to pay Perrier for every single one of them. <laughs> yeah, well, no, um, apparently, I think they struggled to find an advertiser for that. Apparently, no one would see their... Their, their truck get destroyed. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got tank versus car, then tank versus train. And uh, Bean, as I say, he's going... We, ha- we haven't really spent enough time talking about... Sean Bean, you bastard. Yeah. Brilliant but, um, foil. 
to, to well that's, it's like I know his every move I know how he thinks I know how, yeah, yeah but he is he's one step ahead all and the way. I think he is uh, one of the the greatest the best, one of the best the, villains that Bond faces up against because he doesn't need a henchman or he has a hench lady well exactly hench and, person and the, yeah the fact that you know we're getting ahead of ourselves in terms of yeah he can match Bond in hand to hand combat which is not the sort of um, whereas in you know Tomorrow Never Dies you kind of feel sorry for him like picking on poor Jonathan Price he's just beating up an old man <laughs> but yeah that whole bit where Trevelyan uh, spots the tank and he's like Bond only Bond he's like full speed <laughs> so he drops his whole like posh English like, full speed ram him <laughs> ram him off track off that, the track off the track you busted <laughs> no Sean you can't say you can't keep saying busted we're gonna have to cut that out and you're still the same cruel flogging bastard you little bit of a Dutch bastard after the bastards that did this where do you think this is a bastard who sets us up for the flogging bastard that knows how to deal with bullying bastards like you you pink bastards do that you little dullest bastard pick a sack you miserable bastard stand by you bastard 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 you you right set of bastards we do love him he's great and he dies in nearly everything he's in yes that's true in true bond uh, fashion we have the over elaborate death trap you've got three minutes yeah you've got three minutes i've locked you <laughs> just in. kill him i've got a gun in my room <laughs> just shoot him shoot him in the head hang on first i'm going to reveal my plan and then i'm going to give you three minutes to cut your way out with the laser another type sorry we keep mentioning it but another great level from the from, from the, the game. game you having to use the watch to get out of the train definitely um is it just me but i as much as i like uh natalia i think she's a good feisty independent bond girl gives her own i don't think she has that much chemistry with bond and all of a sudden it's like oh they're, they're they've got together like all of it she was like giving him loads of sass boys with toys yeah in in the prison cell and then all of a sudden yeah Save my life. Yeah. I suppose I will <laughs> sleep with you. I want on, the, on this train track. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's make out on the side of this burning train track. <laughs> oh, James. Paid, paid lip service. That's always been a Bond thing. Yes. Uh, that they were just... Well, it's, 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 again, it's a Roger Moreism, isn't it? But yeah. it's just the fact that, like, I hate you, I hate you. Oh, I like you. Life and death situation. Um, a gentleman and a killer. So we are getting uh, into third act territory. Let's go somewhere sunny. Let's go somewhere sunny. Uh, let's go to Cuba. Yeah, let's get in our car. Me, you, two stunt men wearing wigs. <laughs> well, the reason I know you sent me a screen grab of that saying Del- delicious stunt men. But before that scene, again, it's a very blink and you miss it. But the fact was they got a pilot to land r- right in front of a, a moving, the, car. A moving yeah. car. So it's a very very clever stunt but again it's a bit pointless yeah and the whole car is a bit pointless we we haven't got enough budget for that you know we said it's got all those gadgets we're not going to show them yeah don't use it but obviously the makeup for it in 
Tomorrow Never Dies, which is one of my favourite uh, car sequences in any Bond film, that whole multi-story car park yeah, and stuff brilliant. like that. But yes, the, the sheer cost of creating that evil there, do we need to go into logistics of that? I mean, I'm, we're talking about films that are featured in a hollowed out volcano, but, but still, again, it, it is a throwback to that. Yeah, so we've got a lake and underneath it, a satellite. And a station, uh, an evil lair full of many, many staff, soldiers. Bad guys who need to be killed. Server rooms, IT support. Yeah, how would you get in there? How would, there'd have to be an access panel. But, but, but <laughs> don't worry about that. But that is actually a, a real, it's a, a radio uh, telescope in... Uh, not, it's not Cuba. It's not Cuba. But is I it Costa Rica? I think it's... Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, Costa Rica. Um, but Let's was, just start shouting out Central American places. Um, <laughs> Panama. Um, but it was also featured in the film Contact. So it is an actual real that without the water. With Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. <laughs> without obviously the the evil hidden lake. It is that when the water's being emptied, that is what it actually looks like. It does actually have that walkway and suspended over. But brilliant set design. Very Bond. I think, more, obviously, more more delicious miniatures, you yeah. know, with a bit where... And there well, is they, some a little bit where you see them approaching it, and it's a little bit sort of mishmashy. But, but then we get everything we want to see. We see um, Bond... Well, well, as you said, him being that, you know, uh, moving his head, dodging the bullets, like, you know, uh, in, a, in a sort of laid-back manner. I forgot and being a badass, taking out so many guards, having a plan and having a backup plan and uh, having the... But again, you've got uh, Trevelyan, you know, oh, is it, is it the button on the left? I know yeah. he's, he knows all his moves. And for me, I forgot how good there's some really good dialogue in this, you know, all the martinis to silence the screams of all those girls you failed to save. Yeah, exactly. It's like, is that too self-aware? Would <laughs> yeah. he actually say that to him? It's like, you're nothing more than a common thief, Alec. Yeah. No, I think they've got, I say it's one of the strengths in this film. It's, Their chemistry. It's, between the two of them. So much respect, and, I think, and between the, Bronholm and um and the fact it's, yeah, between, it's, uh, it's Sean Bean. It, it's, personal, it's a personal mission, as a lot of Bond films are, but it actually, you, you can get behind it. It doesn't feel a little bit over the top. Um, and it's good to have, yeah, the the fact that the villain has a personal connection. It's not like a revenge. It is a revenge sort of thing, but it's revenge on the person that he thought was dead. <laughs> yeah. So I can't believe you. I'm, I'm, I'm angry with you for making me worry about you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm worried about you for all these years. <laughs> but we've we've chatted about this before that the Bond versus Trevelyan fight on the satellite is one of the best in the series. Definitely. The uh, stunt work, and apparently they they rehearsed it for weeks. And it's the stakes. It's because you can see, I mean, it's stakes. It's really good choreography as well. I would say that, you know, a lot of people talk about It looks brutal. It looks real. But a lot of people talk about, obviously, how Bourne influenced the the Daniel Craig uh, Bond films, that that whole sort of uh, fighting brutal style. But in this, you look at it, it is properly brutal and quite violent for a Bond film. There's headbutts. There's, you know... Lots of lots of Pierce Brosnan doing his, but it's brilliant. And as I say, the, I love how it's staged. How it's like that they're above this, you know, this massive fall. And uh, as you say, that every turn they are mono y mono. They're yeah. very well matched. And yeah, we're getting to which I think is probably the best uh, finishing pun. It's not a pun, you know. It's yeah. like, it, yes, it harks back for England, James. No, for me, it's like, yeah. It's, and there's another line that's very poetic. It was like, you expect me to lie for you? It's like, no, you you were supposed to die for Yes. Me. And it's like, you get a, I don't know, just a snapshot of their relationship. It was like, you you were supposed to die to, to help this plan sort yeah. of thing. So, because it's never really revealed 
you know you have the whole Janus thing and how it was part of the plan was you know it was it was all part of his plan yeah you know from the from the very beginning um so yeah as i said before and this is not just from us going backwards and forwards through the plot whether it's watching re-watching this this film or playing the game but i think it all holds together more than some bond films well i think that's it if you look at Brosnan's Bond career it is very much a case of diminishing returns I mean it is yeah. a sliding scale I think it's safe to say I um, I have uh, a lot of time for Tomorrow Never Dies well Jonathan Price is bringing stamper <laughs> Jonathan Price is over over the top so one. hammy it's brilliant no news like bad news yeah um, I can't wait till we do that I mean that was so pre-internet days and he's got that massive uh, keyboard like key- thing he's tapping at it's like a keyboard the size of a VHS that he's tapping on very excitedly yeah. there's a lot of good stuff in Tomorrow Never Dies um, Will does not enough oh, no, so dull even Robert Carlyle looks like he can't be asked just bored yeah uh, and the less said about Die Another Day the, the better really it's yeah. just and the, the fact is uh, that I was going to go uh, talk about earlier is the fact that Brosnan ages very quickly across those four films. He looks really tired by the time he gets to like World is Not Enough. I think Diana, I think he's all right. It's just Diana, I remember my reaction to seeing Die Another Day was I saw it at the cinema and I was like, okay. And then I got the DVD and watching the DVD, I was like, he's just too old. He yeah. just looks too old. But then he went on to make some brilliant films since Bond and he is still proving today. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, the the Foreigner. Oh, uh, where he's playing, uh, playing, he's not playing Jerry Adams. He's just a person that looks, looks and sounds. sounds like Jerry Adams. No, The Foreigner, again, that's a Martin Campbell film. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that is a very odd beast. It's a little bit Rambo. It's a little bit Patriot Games. Um, but it's worth a, a worth a watch. That's on Netflix. Yeah, a lot of people have said that to me, so I'm going to have to um, check that but out. No, but he, he's made some of his best work after Bond. Yeah, so there's um, obviously Thomas Crown Affairs, a good, yeah. is a good remake. He's very good in The Matador, where he's playing a washed-up assassin. He's great in what I watched again recently, which was during his Bond time, but in Mars Attacks as yes. a very hammy scientist. Yeah, this is a great day mr president <laughs> you know he's he's quite good at poking fun at himself which is yeah. you know quite a, a prerequisite for for this type of stuff but yeah i think he brosnan does get a lot of stick obviously since daniel craig has really sort of taken the role and yeah sort of made it his made it his own but yeah i think for me if if things had been different you know it if we got him earlier in his career yeah I think oh. if we got but then we wouldn't have got Delicious Dalton yeah but all I can say is the good news is that you know uh, Piers Brosnan can finally he's finally of an age where wearing his trousers up to his armpits is completely acceptable it's completely fine but I don't know if you saw recently because at the moment he's like you know he's obviously proper silver fox and he's got this like Colonel Sanders you know Mr. KFC sort of um, evil sort of moustache goatee beard at the moment he turned up at the, <laughs> at the Oscars and somebody just shared a photo of him and says Piers Brosnan looks like the type of guy who wants to invite you to his island to hunt men <laughs> <laughs> he looks rather eccentric and evil Ex- he's turned into an evil genius <laughs> yeah come to my island to hunt the greatest prey man so yeah I think we've we've, we've, we've been ch- chatting for a while and uh, Who's that? Is that, is, that, is that Jeff and Celine? It is Jeff and Celine. Oh my God, shall I let them in? Uh, why not? Why not? Okay. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. 
I think I've only got one main one for, uh, for so coulda, woulda, shoulda. Did I ruin it before by talking about uh, Sean Bean was considered for the role? No, no, I think that's it's important to talk about that. But yeah, coulda, woulda, shoulda, who, people who almost got the role. So I'm not sure if this was when it was in development with uh, Dalton still in the lead, but originally Trevelyan was going to be Bond's mentor rather than sort of uh, equal. And he was going to be played by none other than me, Tony Hopkins. Anytime he starts <laughs> And that was it. He was going to be Bond's, basically Bond's teacher. But he was still going to go bad. And he was still, yeah, he was still going to go rogue. That's been used in a few other films. Well, pretty much like Mission Impossible, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, which, you know, was a year later. But um, yeah, for obviously, I think they made the right to- decision to make it a, an equal rather than a father mm. type figure because Bond's got enough daddy issues as, as yeah. it goes um, but I think yeah that is the the main well we uh, touched co- on it a bit in terms of production chat you know there's a lot of coulda woulda shoulda that well, happened before well could have been it could have been uh, Timothy Dalton yeah. <laughs> could have been Roger Moore <laughs> Okay, so that was coulda, woulda, shoulda. Uh, special features? Special features. Um, Should we talk about the game a little bit? Well, we can talk about the game. So George and I played Goldeneye before recording this. And so, so I have uh, I have an, an N64 I bought off eBay about 10, 15 years ago that I keep in cold storage for, yeah. for such occasions. And I'm now feeling that I'm going to have to go and get one because George kicked my ass. A, a complete- me, the gamer. Me, the guy who like plays COD for two hours every night and rakes up like an impressive kill death ratio couldn't deal with an inverted aiming control system it's well very different because we're, the we're, 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 we're so used to two analog sticks where that's just just one um yeah. but yes it was a lot of fun to go back and play obviously yes it has dated quite badly but i'd say considering i've also recently picked up uh, a playstation classic you know so rediscovering playstation games i think it stands up a lot better than some of the playstation games the graphics still look good the, it's the sound effects and the and playability. playability i mean we haven't played i think after this um, we'll give the single player another go yeah definitely for, for all time's sake because that is a proper sort of a cartridge of nostalgia like what you did there. um but yeah no it was a lot of fun and we used to play i remember coming up to see you when you were a student in edinburgh and it was literally oh what what'd you get up to seeing charlie through uh, just played golden <laughs> i remember being like uh so i would have been a bit older yeah about 16 when this game came out 16 17 and being at a friend's house and like we'd been out the night before and i'd stayed over and he he'd had the um he had golden eye on the n64 and he's like i've got to go out and do this thing with my cousins but if you wait here and you know i'll come back and so i was basically there for something like eight hours by myself and I played and I, and, and it was the first time I played it and I just played it solid for, for eight hours just it, couldn't get couldn't get enough of it without you know the, excuse the pun but it was a game changer it has and they've actually I've seen uh, and I'll, I'll share this on the blog they, they're actually making a documentary uh, where they've tracked down the original programmers and stuff like that and it, renderware rare, rare. But yeah, they've made a documentary all about the game and talk about how the fact it changed the face of first-person shooters. The fact it, you know, before that, you know, film we game wouldn't have had Call of Duty without that. Exactly. Well, and if you think about it, it changed the face for like film game adaptations. Film games were like pretty crap beforehand. Be interesting to see how it compares in terms of success of the game versus the film. I mean, obviously, the film stands up the test of time, but it's well, right yeah, up, it's, it's in, unfair in to... terms of the sales as well. I mean, I think that's it with the, the Nintendo sixty-four. So, like, it was 
probably the figurehead game for for that console. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously you had 1080 snowboarding, Mario Kart, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But um, I mean, obviously it was the, re- the the sole reason that I bought mine off eBay was when they um, announced they were making they they remade it with Daniel Craig about yeah ten years ago. I think around the time of I uh, that. Uh, Skyfall came out. No, this wasn't the same. It was good to play with a dual controller. It was yeah. good to have the update. Yeah, so it, w- it was effectively like a remake, but in a, a game. Skinning. But uh, yeah, at that time I was like, why? Why would I pay you know forty quid when I can probably buy a Nintendo with gold, an N sixty four with. Uh, with Goldeneye for, for less than that and I did I got it for like 25 quid I think it's better just to get the N64 than to try and go back and rend and repeat it and also when you look at the Bond games that we've had well they, you and I have had a lot of fun playing Bond games over the years there was um, what's that one Agent Under Fire was that the one where you could like it looked like you were firing peanuts yeah it, well, that was the one with the evil evil Chloe Zone the evil Zoe clone evil yeah. Zoe clone and then there was the one on the um, there was everything or nothing. That yeah. was really good. Uh, was that the one? Was it? Was that the one where you could have a gun in each hand and you could like swap guns? I think that. Oh was no, a, that was Goldeneye Rogue Agent. That was it. Rogue Rogue Agent. Yeah, yeah. silly, very silly plot. Yeah. But everything or nothing had its own plot, and it had well, Bros- ev- Bronholm. Ev- well, everything or nothing is technically Brosnan's last appearance as Bond because it yeah. came out after. Well, came around the same time as, as Die Another it Day. Came out, it was after Die Another Day. Um, but it had, you know, it's all, it had Willem Dafoe as the bad guy. It had uh, Judy Dench. It had Judy... And, John and, Cleese. And, and had, you know, they'd thrown a lot of money at it. It was, it was a great game. It was bastard hard as well. Yeah, very difficult. But all the little gadgets, flying the little helicopters and nanobots. driving the, little, the nanobots. And, oh, God, yeah, the last level was the guys wearing... Nano suits. Uh, nano suits, invisibility suits. It was like, that's ridiculous. I don't think I ever finished it because it was so hard. It was that, that last, last level. level. You couldn't... It was, it was very hard to do, I think you had to change the setting and then complete it and not tell anyone. And obviously we've played, uh, was it Bloodstone? Um, but no, my favourite is the, um, <laughs> the one that Connery came back to do. The oh, from Russia with Love. That when, was when a Con- lot of fun. When Connery sounds so old. I mean, it's great having him back, but he sounds he sounds a bit hoarse. It's a fun game. It was a fun game. That was PS2, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Some great games on the PS2. So yeah. Well, I don't uh, know. But somebody pointed out, I think it was the, our friends at uh, Sudden Double Deep, they mentioned there hasn't been a Bond game for eight years, since 2012. Was I think the last Bloodstone? one was... Well, no. no, they did Legends, which came out around the time of Skyfall, um, yeah. which was Daniel Craig, again, revisiting key Bond. So there was like um, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. There was... Uh, was Bloodstone the one where you just like you crept up behind someone stealth and then press triangle and then does a series of moves uh, of a series of cutscenes a series of cutscenes is like oh, well can I not just do those moves yeah no I think they released there was three that were released around the same time so there was the Goldeneye remake uh, Goldeneye 007 uh, there was Bloodstone and then there was Legends which was like a COD ripoff and everyone said it's probably one of the worst Bond games because it's such a lazy cash in it's like there's no stealth it's just yeah a very COD light type thing Mm -hmm. I've never played it I'm sort of tempted to just sort of maybe pick up a copy as a completist but people have said almost like don't bother well, well, would you would you another game? Let's hope they uh, let's hope they do something different. You know. Well, I don't, it looks like we're not going to get one for obviously for for Daniel Craig, but who knows what we'll get for the time? Well, let's just go back and play Gold uh, Eye on the N sixty four. Exactly. Oh. 
Okay. Uh, anything else we need to cover? No. I, Talking I, about in, this, in, well, obviously, in terms James, of, James Bond will return in Tomorrow Never Dies, which we've all obviously talked about. And we will sorry, cover. No, no time to die. Not Tomorrow Never Dies. No, I'm saying oh, in this? after Goldeneye, it was Tomorrow oh, yes. Never Dies, which we will cover at some point on Retro Ramble. Oh, for sure. And I uh, say we we obviously lots would, of fun with that film. We'd obviously love to cover uh, the Dalton ones as well. There's a yeah. lot of fun, and there's a lot of nostalgia for us. I remember, as I say, watching License to Kill on on VHS and uh, and stuff like that. So. But we will get back to the Roger Moore ones. We just, I think, with something like Bond, like we've talked about before, or with Star Wars, these we'll, we'll these are special. These are special films that we will probably release either at a bank holiday or just before a Bond film is about to be postponed. I mean, released, <laughs> whatever. We got some shout outs. Yeah, so just just in a way of saying thanks, yeah, all the people who written in and the questions, you know, we were having a bit of a chat about, well, just the fact that we were going back uh, to Goldeneye and we asked we asked you guys to send in some questions, comments and uh, pithy comebacks. So I uh, just want to give those guys a mention. So James Hennessy gets, gets, a, gets a special me- mention for giving us some advice on how to play the game. And we definitely did follow that advice. Um, there was no odd job and there was definitely a lot of slappers, but we didn't get to use the, we didn't use the golden gun. We went for power weapons because our aim was so bad. Uh, we've also got Macaulay Gallagher who says it's one of his favorite Bond films and he, he agrees with us. He says to this day he thinks the fight between Brosnan and Bean is one of the best in the Bond franchise. Which I would agree with. And also good to see that Macaulay obviously has listened to our view to a kill uh, either has listened to a view to a kill podcast episode or has similar feelings about, about that old guy yeah. in it yeah and thanks to uh, Rylan uh, Rylan Delorme all the way from lovely Canada so th- thank you very much for listening and for uh, Southern Saskatchewan sorry we can't don't pronounce think that. you're pronouncing no. that right I wasn't going to even try uh, to that and Andy Jones, I hope your knee gets better. I don't know whether that's a. I can kind of relate. I have that fear, you know, that I've got a, I've got old sports injuries. That when I if I ever move to Mos- Moscow and start working in the mafia, my my knee aches. So uh, twice a day. Yeah, Lee Hallam. Uh, we had a bit of a chat with him about the whole uh, Joe Don Baker not making any sense. Him being popping up so soon after Living Daylights as uh, Jack Wade. And uh, Casey, uh, Casey Millwood, obviously we were talking about, uh, it is what I think defines the film, you know, the the, the line of, uh, for England, James, no, for me, makes it personal. So thanks for pointing that out. Uh, obviously our friend uh, Rocky, uh, you know who you are, uh, Mr. Technoir. Um, so so thanks, thanks for the, uh, the Partridge reference. Uh, David Simpson, James Diaz, anybody else, George, that we should mention? No, uh, well, obviously we thank, uh, thanks to go out to... Uh, all the people that share, like, and uh, and subscribe, please, uh, as as we always say, you know, share with like-minded people. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you're using iTunes, because that helps us be more visible to more people. Um, and keep the suggestions coming. Obviously, yeah. George and I cover film. We're only going to pick the films that we've watched growing up, but there's 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 a lot of films to choose from. From uh, you know, like late seventies, but it's mainly eighties, nineties, and early noughties is what we cover on this podcast. Well, we uh, we'd be interested to hear what even though it'll be a while uh, but what Bond film should we do next from the from the 80s and 90s that would be uh, interesting to see what people's thoughts are on that yeah so definitely worth a rewatch but I mean who doesn't go back and enjoy watching a Bond film it's what Bank Holidays were made for or, or, vice versa. or, or a good hangover yeah it's, definitely uh, good, good hangover telly yeah it's just like a warm blanket yeah okay so uh, that's all from us uh, I've been Charlie McGee I've been George McGee and we'll see you next time bye bye bye